Welcome to Truth Talk with John Morgan of Traders Point Church of Christ. Traders Point Church of Christ is located at 8220 West 82nd Street in Indianapolis. More information about worship times and Bible study can be found at traderspointchurch.org. Good morning and welcome to Truth Talk. My name is Jeremy Bard. I'm the evangelist at Traders Point Church of Christ. Usually here on the program with us is John Morgan, but this morning it's Brandon Hawk. And certainly it's exciting to have him alongside as we continue our study through the Gospel of John. Uh, John Morgan and I have been studying through John for the last several months now, and we are really getting to the very end in John chapter 20 this morning. And so if you're listening and you have a Bible that you can get, that's where we'll be in John chapter 20. We have just today's study and next week's study in John chapter 21, and the Gospel of John will be all done. So I'm excited about our study this morning. Brandon, good morning. Good to see you. Good morning. And I know you're excited, certainly, as well, to be filling in this morning. We've, uh, we've been studying through, like I said, the Gospel of John for really some time. And John is really a unique gospel, and especially from the other three. A lot of times we'll couple the other three, you know, kind of group them together, and uh, we call them the synoptic gospels. They'll group some things. But John is very chronological in the way that he, he does things. But what's really interesting is his time frame in his book really slows down in the back half. Really from chapters 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, you kind of are at the very last week of Jesus's life. And really a lot of that uh, occurs, especially from John 14 through John 17 and 18, really, it is really kind of the night before one long conversation. And so things time-wise slow down, that is until he goes to the garden and he's arrested. And, and it, it really seems to ramp up very, very quickly. We've talked at length that it just, John does a great job of pinpointing how quickly everything goes. That it's just in one night he is arrested. He is ping-ponged back and forth between Annas and Caiaphas and Pilate. And Pilate doesn't want to have anything to do with them. But yet ultimately the Jews get their political wish and Jesus is put on the cross. All of that happens lightning fast. And he even dies faster than what they expect him to. Um, the very end of the story of the crucifixion, John lets us know. The Roman soldiers, they go to you know, break the legs because they, the bodies need to come down. Crucifixion is designed to be something that takes a while. But the timing of what's going on there in Jerusalem... Those bodies need to come down. They break the legs of the two robbers there, uh, so they'll suffocate. Ultimately, that's the case. But Jesus is already dead. And so things have moved very, very quickly. We get to the end of John chapter 19. The picture is given to us of Jesus being laid in the tomb. And I think now things slow down in a lot of ways in John chapter 20. It is a story that we have in all four Gospels, of course, the resurrection. But I do think it's unique in the way that John tells his side of the resurrection. And really John 20 and 21 with really what we see are very intimate, very personal interactions that Jesus has. And so what are your initial thoughts kind of as we move from you know the end of John 19 to Jesus being crucified and buried and now as John chapter 20 is kind of opening up yeah. for us yeah well we're really coming to the most significant part in history really yeah. I mean this is what all of scripture has been looking forward to this is what Jesus has been talking about um, so I'm really excited to talk about I mean this is the most significant really point in history 
of, of chapter 20. Uh, we know from chapter 19 that Jesus really is good as dead. There's no doubt about that. I mean, like you said, he was pierced in the side just to be sure. Yeah. And and so this is this is a great time of, of mourning for a lot of people. This is the Messiah who was supposed to come and liberate them, and now he's dead. So we know there's a lot of mourning going on at this time. Yeah, we've talked a lot about, especially in leading up to the crucifixion, where you know everybody kind of had his back for a long time, but when he's arrested, just like you said was going to happen, uh, his, even his closest of followers seem to... Uh, kind of go away a little bit and they kind of you know they struggle with what's happening we're certainly told there were a few people there at the cross women mostly uh john himself i think makes mention of of being there Uh, we know peter was kind of around but at a distance when jesus was you know as we kind of ping-ponging back and forth on uh, i don't want to call it a trial i don't i mean whatever you know whatever it was but everyone else has kind of been in a distance, and, and it is, it's a shock to what's going on. But I think it's interesting, you even made mention of it. You know, sometimes we start to question, should they be as shocked as what they were? I mean, certainly he was very clear about his crucifixion for sure. I think less clear about his resurrection, even though he's made mention of it. But he has been really clear about the fact that he's going to be put to death. But I think it's interesting. So I want to kind of dive into that just a little bit more because I do think it's significant the impact that this event would have had on his closest of followers. So talk a little bit about that on, you know, let's say, you know, put yourself in the shoes of one of his apostles, and now you've been around him for pretty closely for these three years, and you've looked up to him in every way, and now he's been killed, and he's literally been put into a tomb, and he's been there now for, for several days even. Yeah, well, it just doesn't seem right. Yeah. It just doesn't seem right, especially, I mean, we know Jesus performed so many miracles. It's not like he didn't have the power to deliver himself. And so normally when, when you die, you've lost right. and, and you're done. I mean, it's finished. And so they were counting on him to, to lead the way and to, and to liberate them. But now he's dead. So it's like, what do we do now? I mean, how we, how we, we know that they were hiding because of fear of the Jews. I mean, this was a very trying time for them anyway. So it's scary. I mean, this is their, their teacher. This is their Messiah. And now he's dead. That would be that would be absolutely devastating. Yeah, I think you're right, and it is just not what they expected. You know, you made mention that he's listen. He's raised people from the dead already. I mean, John chapter 11, a story that we've talked about. You know, with Lazarus, and Lazarus had been like Jesus on the dead for several days, and he you know he calls him from the tomb. Other gospel writers pinpoint the fact that Lazarus isn't the only person that Jesus has raised from the dead. That he did it multiple times. But, you know, it's interesting now, and I think you're right, they're just kind of lost a little bit. They don't know exactly what to do and and really what to go about. The chapter in chapter 20 kind of opens with, you know, the fact that they're just kind of going about doing the things that normally you would do when someone has just died. I mean, and, and you have this picture of, you know, the women, specifically Mary Magdalene. She comes to the front here with John, and the story that he tells but she goes to the tomb expecting in every way to see the body of Jesus, expecting in every way for it to be there. And even when it, it's not there, I think it's interesting. She in no way goes to, well, he's been raised from the dead or, you know, he's done, you know, he's done something. She immediately goes 
to the fact that he's been stolen away in some way. So let's talk a little bit about that. We've talked about the apostles for sure, but what do you think that says now about you know Mary Magdalene and some of his followers and what their mindset would have been that they're going to the tomb, they're expecting to see the body of Jesus. It's not there, but yet their first thought isn't, hey, he's raised from the dead. It's hey, his body has been taken away. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Of course, we know Mary Magdalene. I mean, Jesus cast out seven demons for her. So she's been personally touched by Jesus uh, here. And so, yeah, like you said, I mean, she was just, she fell in the same line of thinking, this, just, this is not right. right. This is absolutely not right. I mean, Jesus, you know, he, I saw it. He was dead. He was, he was good as dead. Now he's gone. And so... It just did not cross her mind that that he could absolutely be raised. Yeah, and you know, it's she's really bothered by the fact that she believes his body has been taken away. Mm-hmm. And I think it's interesting as she goes. The story, kind of at the beginning of the chapter, is you know she goes and she tells uh, Peter and John and uh, some of the other disciples. Uh, you know, the picture that John gives us here, and, and certainly uh, other you know kind of gospel writers paint the picture of Peter and John running to the tomb. And uh, I think they're expecting to, you know, find Jesus, his body there, and, and, and they don't. And it just seems as if they're confused by the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I find it interesting that I often wonder, you know, what they're, you know, what they're thinking, you know, how quickly they get to, hey, maybe Jesus is raised from the dead. Because he has alluded to it certainly several times. But I just don't think it is a spot they're allowing their minds really to go. No, and I don't really, it's funny, they, they find the wrappings just lying there and, uh, you know, it's just kind of neatly placed. So it, I guess in my mind, it wouldn't really make sense as to why, if someone took his body, why would they neatly unwrap it and just leave it there? Like That just wouldn't make sense in my mind. <laughs> yeah, and, and they're just, they're, you know, it's interesting, at, you know, verse 10 of chapter 20, you know, after they see these things, you made mention, they find the handkerchief, they find the, the other linen cloths just kind of lying there, and uh, they just, they go away into their own homes. I mean, and, and I think, again, that just paints the picture they're just struggling with everything that's going on. And it, it's heavy. I mean, you know, we've talked over the last several chapters, certainly in the Gospel of John, that, that Jesus has laid a lot of things on them very, very quickly. Even though it's, you know, it's way back in the Gospel of John, I and mean, we can go back six, seven, eight chapters, which, you know, for us seems like a really long time ago when you go back that far, usually even biblically. But as we made mention, I mean, we go back that far, but in chronology, you're going back days. I mean, not months or years or even weeks. You're going back just days. And in that last conversation, I mean, he's laying a lot on them. The fact that he's going to go away and they, they can't follow. And the fact that, you know, he's going to send a helper to them and their, their responsibility is going to be amped up because he's not going to be able to be physically there with him and with them anymore and what they're going to have to carry on and do. And so there's a lot being laid on them. And I think just the the reality of him being taken and beaten and killed and buried is just overwhelming them really in every way. Yeah. Well, and like you said, I mean, it's only a short time that he's been with them. And during yeah. that time, we saw 
they were struggling with their faith throughout. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, there was a time where Jesus says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, and they're thinking, oh, is it because we have no bread that he's talking about that? And they already saw him feed a bunch of people. Uh, so even with the science that they saw Jesus perform, they were still having trouble with their belief. Yeah. And so I think that's still playing out here. I, I think you're exactly right. And you're going to continue to see that probably all the way into the book of Acts. I mean, really, when the book of Acts comes and uh, Jesus is he has gone now for good, he has ascended into heaven, and you really see them to be able to piece their faith together really in a lot of ways. And so, you know, as this picture, you know, it's interesting the way John kind of tells this story, you know, like we made mention, all the gospel writers certainly paint a picture after Jesus's resurrection. And we know from other places that it was about 40 days that he was kind of, you know, there after the resurrection. There's lots of different people that he met yeah. and that he spent time with and that he talked to. And, and you can get those stories, you know, throughout. But John chooses to really give us, at least here in chapter 20, two very intimate pictures, one with Mary Magdalene, which we'll talk about here in just a moment, and the other with his his closest apostles. Even though it happens at two time, two different times, it, it's still uh, still that same intimate picture. And really, Thomas is the one that comes to the mm-hmm. forefront. And so John really, again, I think focuses on Jesus and his interaction with individuals. We've talked a lot about that throughout the Gospel of John, that he really does that. Matthew is one of those you know books that paints Jesus in front of huge multitudes of people yeah. all the time. And John makes mention of that, but John really spends time telling us about Jesus and individuals. You know, Nicodemus, Jesus and Nicodemus, Jesus and the woman at the well, Jesus and here Mary Magdalene, Jesus and the blind man that he heals, you know, Jesus even around Lazarus, but specifically with the time he spends with Mary and Martha his sisters there in John 11, and then here in John 20 with Mary Magdalene and with Thomas. It's that individual interaction. And I think just by way of quick application, I think that helps us make our relationship with Jesus a little bit more personal, that we're not seeing him only on this big grand stage of somewhere out, you know, way out there in front that we can't get a hold of, that, listen, you, you can have kind of this close, intimate, personal relationship with Jesus. Absolutely, yeah. We certainly see that Jesus cares about the individual. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think about even just the Gospel of Luke. I mean, that's just that's written to Theophilus. That was written to one person, <laughs> one, one individual. Yeah. And you know, and Jesus talks about he's willing to leave the ninety-nine to go find the one. Mm-hmm. So you're absolutely right. He cares about each soul. Uh, you know, we know he had the power to perform miracles from afar. I mean, he could have you know said, "Be healed," and if you're you know, a mile away, he could have healed you. But he. He went up, went up and close and personal. He was touching people. He was teaching people. So absolutely, he he really cares about each person. And I think that's important for us, you know, today. Of now we're you know a long time removed from this scene in John twenty yet of understanding that a relationship with Jesus is something that can happen very personally. John, you know, he'll write, as he writes this book, and I think his three epistles, first, uh, second, and third John, he's doing so very late in life, probably one of the last books that we have of the New Testament. And John, I think, makes the point in his that first epistle in First John that that close, intimate, personal relationship that he had with Jesus 
The fact that he was able to physically touch him and physically listen to him and, and physically be around him. But it is that same kind of intimate relationship that we can have. And I think it's important for us to think about it that way. And John does a great job of painting that picture. And so even though we've already been, you know, Mary Magdalene has been introduced to us here at the beginning of the chapter, after Peter and John come, they see that the body isn't there. They kind of go back to their own homes. But Mary Magdalene seems to, you know, still be around, you know, right there where things are going on. And, you know, you, you really have almost a heart-wrenching story given to us, even though we're reading this and we know Jesus is raised from the dead. I mean, but yet we're still able, as John does such a good job of painting that picture of reading, you know, like verse 11, Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping and she wept and stooped down and looked into the tomb. And, and that's just, it's an easy picture to put into our minds for sure, an easy picture to paint. But yet here Jesus is going to now have a very intimate personal interaction with her here in this moment. Yeah, and yeah, you can certainly see that she's obviously been touched by, by Jesus. I mean, she, she cares about him. She wants to make sure that he has a proper burial. And so you can just see how, how, how devastating that would be that you, you know, someone you cared about that much is now, is now dead at least in her mind, of course, but right. um, absolutely, you, 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 get, you can get really caught up in the emotion of this. Yeah, and, and that's what it is, and there's a, you know, the interaction here with Jesus in kind of a miraculous way uh, to a point, it seems, because uh, she's, he's there, and, and certainly she knows who he is, and, and she knows what he looks like. Uh, again, we're just, you know, three days removed. She hasn't forgotten, you know, what Jesus is. And, and Jesus is there, and, and he starts to speak with her and ask her, you know, why are you weeping? Why are you crying? Who are you, you, you seeking? And, and she basically, listen, if you're a gardener, you've been here. Have you seen? You know, did you see who took the body away? Did you see where they went? And uh, it, it's, she doesn't recognize him, certainly, there until he reveals himself. And it is, you know, her and, you know, there in verse 16, especially when Jesus said to her, Mary, and she turned and recognizes him and the, just the, the wave of emotion that would have taken over. Uh, the other gospels kind of paint the picture of, of her going back and letting the other disciples know, you know, certainly what's happened. John lets that, gives, gives us that in verse 18, that she came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that she had spoken, you know, those things. And, you know, it, it, it is one of those things, even for Mary Magdalene, what, what do you think from the apostles' perspective? Is, is this something that they're going to, a lot of times we throw Thomas under the bus a little mm -hmm. bit of struggling, but I, I just, I have a hard time thinking that he was the only one of the apostles that would have been struggling with this reality. Yeah, and it's kind of, it is kind of perplexing because she would have recognized him. And I guess, I mean, if you're not looking for that person, yeah, you're, not, you're, not, you're not going to, you know, I guess that's not even going to cross your mind. And maybe he thought maybe it just looks like him or whatever. I don't know what all was going through her head. But it is interesting. It took him to say Mary for her mm -hmm. to recognize that. And, and that part of me just that makes me think about, I think it's in John chapter 10, where it talks about, you know, the shepherd and the sheep. And when the shepherd calls him by name, yeah. the sheep will recognize his voice. And so I wonder if that, some of that's going on here. Yeah, and she recognizes him. And, and she's now the, the, the joy and the emotion really is, is exploding. And, you know, we, we leave really that one picture 
And John then, you know, tells us really another story now with the apostles and certainly him certainly be there being included. But the story really centers around Thomas, where, where Jesus, he, he kind of, uh, he uh, appears to the other apostles and, um, you know, he, he, he comes to them, they're assembled, he kind of just pops into the room almost. I mean, the, mm-hmm. again, the picture is, you know, that he, he doesn't knock on the door. He does, you know, he just kind of shows up and they're there. And, you know, they certainly would have been uh, astonished by that. I think in verse 20, when he shows them his hands and his side, and the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord again. And we'll talk about this here in just a moment. I think a lot of times we're we're very quick to, you know, step on Thomas a little bit for not, you know, wanting to see the hand, just not believing. But the other apostles wanted to see that as well. I mean, Mm -hmm. Jesus didn't show them that because it wasn't going to make a difference. They wanted to see that. And so he shows them, you know, all of uh, the fact that, listen, he, he's risen from the dead and he is Jesus. He is the same one that, that they've been with. And, and when you start to, is this emotion of this moment, it, it, do you think this is something that we can grab hold of? Is this something we can comprehend of the emotion of this moment that Jesus kind of pops back on the scene after he's been crucified? Yeah, I mean, certainly, I think, I mean, it's hard for us. I mean, it's hard for me anyway, I guess, because I have the whole picture and I have, I have God's <laughs> right. word. You know, I, I've, you know, I, I, I see the scriptures. I see the whole story. It's hard for me to put my, to fully, maybe fully grasp, but I, I can understand it in some ways. I, I could see myself also wanting that uh, same evidence. You know, is this really Jesus? Is he, was his body really stolen? I mean, the, we saw Peter and John, they ran to the tomb. They, they, like you said, they also wanted to see evidence right. going on here. And so, but but certainly I, I I can in some ways see you know it would have been a devastating thing a, 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 the emotions would have easily gotten in the way of perhaps our logic maybe yeah and maybe it's also is this really him physically you know is it is it him physically or is it just you know kind of his spirit that is you know kind of there in and around and it, it takes that evidence and you know that's a big part of what I mean that's a big part of what faith is all about I mean we often you know we'll make the you know the book of Hebrews will talk extensively about that but you know we, we often you know sometimes we use the word faith and you know in our culture that you know kind of represents you know we even will say a leap of faith that we're just we're blindly jumping out on some thin wire and just hopefully it holds well that's not what faith is certainly not biblical Biblically, biblically, faith is based upon evidence. It's based upon substance. It's based upon things that are real, and that's what's happening to them right here. Their faith in in Jesus and what He has said in the past, and and what He's done, and what He's going to do for them in the future. Now, Him being crucified, being physically now raised from the dead, and being there. I mean, their faith is ramping up at this point pretty quickly and they're certainly going to need it you know when John's about over and the book of Acts is going to you know be on the heels of this and and Jesus isn't physically going to be there and it's going to have to then be their faith that's going to carry them forward yeah and yeah there's absolutely nothing wrong with wanting evidence and right. otherwise why would Jesus have appeared to them in this that's way right. absolutely and they were just supposed to believe and so I mean it, it talks about in Acts um, chapter 1 he pr- also presented himself alive after suffering by convincing proofs. Yeah. And so Jesus knew they needed that. And so and you know God gave a lot of evidence throughout the Old Testament that he was the Lord 
And so this was supposed to be a thing that was to convince them that Jesus is here. Yeah, and, and I think that goes on, and we're going to you know, get down to the very end of this chapter, a couple verses that we've, we've talked about a lot in the past, because it's really John's purpose statement for the entirety of his yeah. gospel. So we've talked about that already several times. But I, I think all of this is kind of leading up to that idea. I mean, he, he appears there, you know, with the apostles, and then John makes mention of the fact that Thomas isn't there. He doesn't say where he is. He, he's just not there. I, you know, no telling where he's at. But when they see him, they tell him, listen, we've seen Jesus. And he, he hasn't. And so he, he's, he, he needs more. He, he needs more. And I think, you know, again, sometimes it's easy for us to say, well, you know, he should have trusted them. You know, he should have listened to them. Well, I mean, they didn't listen to Mary when she came back and said, you know, and Jesus certainly doesn't reprimand him or rebuke him in any way. He, he's just saying, I, I need to see it. I need to see it for myself. And it's interesting when we see the story unfold, you know, what Thomas saying, I need to see this for myself, what Jesus then provides for him. I mean, Jesus gives him exactly what he's looking for here. He then provides the proof himself. So Thomas is like, I, I need to see this for myself. And Jesus obliges and he shows up and Thomas is then able to see the side where the spear went in, his hands where the nails went in. And Jesus gives him exactly what he needs in this moment. Yeah. And I just love how patient really Jesus is yeah. with all of them. I mean, the first thing he says in verse 19, peace be with you. Mm-hmm. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't rebuke them for, for leaving or, you know, and for, <laughs> yeah. you know, not acting right. I mean, he's very patient with them right. and, and gives them the evidence and, and reminds them of their mission. Uh, so I just, I, I do love how he's willing to do that. And it is his care and his compassion for these guys. I mean, it, it really is. And his patience with, with all of them. When we get into John chapter 21 and next week, it'll be his, his patience and love and care with Peter and the very private conversation that he has there with Peter, who I'm sure is struggling, you know, with all the things that have happened and, and his response to it. I think he's really struggling, Peter's response to yeah. it. But, you know, you do see that. And he does the exact same thing even in verse 26 where, you know, Thomas is now with them. He came and he stood in the midst of them. And again, peace, peace to you. And, you know, that's not kind of a phrase that we use, you know, very often. But the the idea is, listen, everything's going to be okay. Let's, you know, you you can take a breath. Everything is is where it needs to be. And um, he now, he comes there with Thomas and he says, listen, you, you look here, you believe, and you can really be all about it. And then you have verse 29, I definitely want to spend a little time on where Jesus says, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. And I think in a lot of ways, that's Jesus reaching all the way out to where we are. You know, we're not in a position physically like Thomas was here, that he's able to physically reach out and touch Jesus or physically reach out and and touch his hands or his side. But yet that same level of belief, because we have this story, is where we can get to. And I think it's really interesting that in this intimate moment, Jesus is, is able to reach all the way out to now me personally. And I think that is just a powerful, powerful verse that we have and, and the power, I think, that Jesus has to be able to do that. Yeah, and, and certainly, you know, as we talked about, it's, it's fine to want to have that evidence to, to see Jesus. But I think one thing, as we've kind of alluded to, just because, you know, a sign does not guarantee faith. Right. 
And, you know, one of the things it says in, in verse 9, it says, For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. The whole purpose of the signs was to confirm the word. Right. And so ultimately our, our faith is based on what God's word says. And that's what we have today. We don't have, we don't get to see Jesus in person, but we have, you know, absolutely confirmed testimony that this is true. And right. I think that's, like you said, what he's alluding to. Yeah, and now we're able to look at it. We're able to read it like we're doing today. And we're able to believe that Jesus raised from the dead. And going back to even where you started at the very beginning of our conversation and understanding that this event, certainly his crucifixion, but certainly his resurrection, that one event and how central it is to the life of a Christian and what it's all about. It just simply wouldn't have been the same if Jesus was dead and stayed dead. That's not a victory over death when you are killed and you stay killed. You know, he raises from the dead. And the Apostle Paul will talk significantly about that and the significance of that. But now he's laid all these things out. We've made mention to it already. You know, John will say here at the very end of chapter 20, that Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. He makes the point, he's done lots of things, more things than I had opportunity to write, you know, here. But he says there in verse 31 that these are written, that you can believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you'll have life in his name. And that ultimately is the key to his whole writing, is that you can believe in Jesus. He's now writing that now for us. I mean, for as we're studying, that we can read these things that we can believe and knowing that that belief will lead to eternal life. And that is in every way the purpose of why John's writing this book. Yeah, and like you said, we would not have that without the resurrection. That is why that is mm -hmm. so important. If Jesus, and you know, as you talked about, as Paul mentioned in 1 Corinthians 15, if, if Jesus is not raised from the dead, we're all wasting our time. That's right. But the fact that he is raised from the dead, we have life. And this is just more than just physical life. This is the best life. This is spiritual life. And that, that's, that's amazing that we get to partake in that. Yeah. Well, we appreciate you studying along with us this morning from John chapter 20. Our long journey through John will come to a close next week. We'll have just one chapter left as John closes his book in John chapter 21. So we look forward to that study. And we appreciate you listening so well and uh, following along and studying along with us this morning. If you're in the area and you can come and visit, we are certainly Traders Point Church of Christ at the corner of 82nd and Lafayette Road. We meet on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. and also Sunday evenings at 6 p.m., Wednesdays at 7. And we'd love for you to come and visit with us anytime and study along and worship God with us once again. So thank you so much for following and studying with us this morning. You've been listening to Truth Talk with John Morgan of the Traders Point Church of Christ. Traders Point Church of Christ is located at 8220 West 82nd Street in Indianapolis. More information about worship times and Bible study can be found at traderspointchurch.org. You can hear Truth Talk every Sunday at 10 a.m. right here on 98.9 FM WYRZ.